regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I'm your host, Cam Edwards, joining you from the uh, soggy, rainy confines of Central Virginia. Hopefully the uh, winter weather hasn't messed up your life. And uh, if you didn't get winter weather, but some of those uh, storms instead, hope that you're doing all right today. We are going to be talking about one of those uh, cold weather states on uh, Cam and Company uh, uh, this time around, however, specifically the state of Vermont. Uh, and the issue of firearms preemption, which is not confined solely to Vermont. We have seen attacks on preemption laws across the country from the uh, gun control lobby. They were able to repeal Colorado's uh, preemption law last year. Uh, Columbus uh, officials are trying to challenge uh, that state's firearm preemption law in court. Although, uh, as we detailed at uh, Bearing Arms earlier today, uh, the courts don't appear to be inclined to let the city of Columbus uh, actually put their own local gun laws in place. And in Vermont, municipalities have been forbidden to do so uh, for well over 100 years. Uh, going back to 1903, there's a uh, Vermont Supreme Court decision that basically curtailed the ability of localities to set their own gun control laws. But then around, I think it was 1998, uh, there were attempts to uh, try to undo or just ignore uh, that uh, that Supreme Court decision, uh, state Supreme Court decision, I might add. Uh, as uh, John McClory of the Ethan Allen Institute uh, writes of the Vermont citizen, uh, the response from lawmakers at the time was to pass what was what is known as the Sportsman's Bill of Rights. Uh, as he says, that act was passed because gun control organizations had shown interest in uh, passing various local laws uh, various local gun control measures, but uh, spurred on by the department uh, by the Vermont Federation of Sportsmen's Clubs and Gun Owners of Vermont, the legislature decisively rejected that interest. The bill passed the House 125 to eight, and the Senate on a voice vote. Democratic Governor Madeline Coonan signed the measure. Democratic Lieutenant Governor Howard Dean boasted, "I got it passed." Okay, I don't think he actually yelled at the end, but. Again, this, this was this was what the Democratic Party of Vermont looked like 30 years ago. You want to talk about sea changes uh, in how Democrats have approached guns, the Second Amendment, gun control. You know, even a decade ago in Congress, a quarter of the Democrats in that body were A-rated by the NRA. Yeah. Now, I don't even think there's one. I think Jared Golden got like a B-plus or maybe an A-minus. Um but the days of the blue dog pro-gun Democrats are over uh, in Vermont, too, unfortunately. Uh, there, I don't think there's any way that uh, Howard Dean would back the Sportsman's Bill of Rights today, even though he uh, boasted about getting it passed uh, back in the uh, late 1990s. Well, McClory says that the uh, renewed interest now in enacting local gun control measures has shifted from getting city charter exemptions to town-by-town -town action, uh, notably in Woodstock, but that's not the only town. Uh, he knows that Michael Bloomberg funded Gun Sense Vermont launching a campaign to repeal the Sportsman's Bill of Rights in the name of local implementation of meaningful steps to prevent gun violence. Perhaps McClory wonders by licensing or prohibiting all guns in the town. Maybe licensing. I don't even think that the uh, even the progressives in Vermont, I think, would be uh, a little hesitant to go for a complete and utter ban on gun possession, given what the Supreme Court has already had to say. But who knows? Maybe they maybe maybe they will. Uh, McClory says the main reason 
why GunSense thinks that this is their year is the election of Senator Phil Baruth as uh, Senate President Pro Temp. He has uh, long been an earnest advocate of gun control measures, according to McClory, sponsoring four such bills in the 2019-2020 session where they were not considered. But he has also publicly announced that repeal of the Sportsman's Bill of Rights will be considered in the coming session. So it's going to get its hearing. It may very well get to the floor of the Senate. Uh, and it's not, as I mentioned, it's not just, you know, uh, the town of Woodstock, Vermont, that is calling for this. Burlington, Vermont, Burlington City Council, just this week, unanimously approving a resolution calling on the repeal, or calling on the legislature to repeal the Sportsman's Bill of Rights. Um, now, Burlington has in the past tried to enact their own local gun laws, including banning guns from restaurants that serve alcohol, uh, as well as uh, requiring all guns to be locked up while they're not in use. Um, they're proposing several new local gun control measures as well. Uh, one of them directs the uh, mayor's office to determine whether, quote, City Hall, Church Street Marketplace, and other Burlington landmarks can be designated as a park where fire and possession would be prohibited. Yeah, how many, how many more gun-free zones can we put in place? And then Vermont Digger reports the final recommendation tasks the mayor and the Burlington Police Department with reviewing whether the city could establish and maintain a facility for the storage of firearms on behalf of people, quote, during moments of crisis. Which actually is a not terrible idea, but it's also completely unnecessary. Um, we have programs out there like Hold My Guns that already do this. Uh, and so you don't need the city to come up with a facility where people can say, hey, can you hold on to my gun for a little bit? Oftentimes, by the way, gun owners don't want to get the government involved. It might be an easy thing for you to ask the police department in Burlington to hold your guns for a couple of weeks. But it might be a much more difficult process for you to get your guns back when you're ready. You don't have that issue with hold my guns. They work with firearm retailers. They work with uh, firearm instructors. Uh, and they have hundreds of individuals around the country who have said, listen, if you need a place to temporarily store your firearms, whether there's, you know, someone in your home who's in the midst of a crisis, whether you're just going out of town for a week or two and you just don't want to leave your guns there in your home because you're afraid they might get stolen, we'll watch over them for you. And when you're ready to pick them back up, you can get it from us. That to me seems like a um, much more effective way to help those who uh, might need to temporarily store their firearms off premises. But that's not what the Berlin City Council wants, is it? No, no. They want new ordinances, right? They want new laws. And they want government involvement against your right to keep and bear arms. That's what they're uh, looking for. And that's what they are trying to enact. So then the question becomes, can they do this? Can they actually repeal the Sportsman Bill of Rights? They might have the, and I say might, because just because of the Senate President Pro Tem is a fan of gun control, doesn't mean that every uh, Vermont lawmaker uh, is willing to go along with this. Having said that, uh, Vermont did pass gun control legislation last year, specifically uh, prohibiting uh, concealed carry in hospitals uh, and also establishing a, uh, a waiting period. Actually, that might have been two years ago when they did that. Uh, Governor Phil Scott had actually vetoed that legislation. Uh, but the lawmakers are able to override his veto. Now, Governor Scott, the Republican governor in Vermont, uh, was also reelected this November. In fact, uh, he won 71.3% of the vote 
uh, in the state of Vermont. Um, I haven't talked to Governor Scott's office. I don't think Governor Scott has weighed in on repealing the Sportsman's Bill of Rights, but I would be flabbergasted uh, if Scott, who objected again to uh, this uh, more modest, quote-unquote, gun control measure last year, uh, said, yeah, 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 sure, I'll sign the Sportsman's Bill, uh, repeal of the Sportsman's Bill of Rights. I don't see that happening. So Democrats are going to have to get a veto-proof majority. And that, I think, is going to be an uphill climb. Uh, even in Vermont. Uh, I'm not saying it can't happen. If you are a Vermont gun owner, you absolutely need to take this seriously. But I do think that it is going to be a difficult challenge for gun control activists. I don't think that passage of this repeal bill is assured in any way, shape, or form. And again, I think there's going to be a lot of pushback uh, from Vermont gun owners on both sides of the aisle, by the way. And again, gun owners will be able to point to the statements of guys like Howard Dean, right? Uh, the overwhelming support that the Sportsman Bill of Rights received by both Republicans and Democrats uh, in the Vermont legislature and ask the pointed but very fair question, so what's changed? Why, why, why did uh, uh, your predecessors back in the late 1990s believe it was important to protect the right to keep their arms by uh, not allowing these localities to try to infringe on those rights through local gun control ordinances? And here it is, 2022, and now y'all are saying, that oh, no, 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 it's fine. We actually, we need to infringe on these rights uh, far more than, uh, than we have in the past. I Again, Vermont's a progressive place. But it is also a place where uh, many Democrats uh, do appreciate their right to keep and bear arms. And I think this is going to be a very divisive issue uh, in the Vermont legislature. I don't think it is a short of passage. And I think gun owners have every opportunity uh, to put a stop to the efforts to repeal the Sportsman's Bill of Rights here when the lawmakers return to uh, the state capitol in just a few weeks. Uh, but as I mentioned, this fight is not just limited to Vermont. We are seeing this in basically in every state that has a firearms preemption law in place. And I think we're talking about somewhere between 35 and 45. I don't have that number right off the top of my head, but the vast majority of states across the country do have firearms preemption laws. Uh, and the gun control lobby hates those laws. They want to see them eradicated. It's far easier uh, for, for them if there's this patchwork quilt of gun laws, right? And they can go to uh, you know progressive communities or anti-gun communities across whatever state we're talking about and say, hey, you want to put this ordinance in place? Oh, yeah, 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 we'll do that. For one thing, it makes it very difficult to challenge all of these ordinances in court. Um, it's like playing whack-a-mole, right? With infringements on your Second Amendment rights. And, and again, that works to the gun control lobby's advantage. So they have every reason uh, to want to try to repeal firearm preemption laws. Second Amendment supporters have every reason to want to keep them in place. Having a firearms preemption law does not guarantee, by the way, that your state's going to have great gun laws. It, it's not. All it means is that it's the state legislature that sets uh, the gun laws throughout the entirety of the state so that there's uniformity, right? Um, those laws can be uniformly awful. <laughs> those laws can be uniformly great. They can be uniformly meh. Need some work. Uh, but you at least don't have to worry about violating a, a municipal ordinance 
you know, let's say as you're traveling uh, uh, throughout the Cleveland area, right? Uh, you depart the city of Cleveland, all of a sudden now you're in one of the suburbs, maybe half a mile later in another one. Well, you don't have to worry about knowing three different municipal codes in order to, uh, you know, uh, uh, not risk a fine or perhaps jail time for violating one of these local ordinances. Um, gun control advocates want you to worry about these things because they know that the harder it is uh, to legally carry, that the more burdens are placed on law-abiding gun owners, the fewer law-abiding gun owners and the fewer concealed carry holders there will be. Some of us will simply decide it's not worth the risk, even though I'm not trying to break the law. I, I, I can't keep track of all of these laws. I don't want to do something that's going to get me in trouble, so I'll just leave my gun at home. That's exactly what the gunners want, at least until you decide, ah, I'm not even carrying it anymore. I'm just going to get rid of it. That's what they really want. And if they can't convince somebody to get rid of them, well, then, of course, there's always the uh, fallback of, uh, let's ban them all, right? Yeah. So preemption is going to be a big issue uh, in uh, several states around the country as we head into 2023. In those states where we don't have firearms preemption, of course, um, uh, battles are going to be uh, uh, just as big. Right. We're already seeing hints of bans on uh, so-called assault weapons in Washington state, uh, more than a hint in Illinois, where lawmakers are trying to get it done in the lame duck session. So it is going to be a very, very busy session, both uh, in red states where our Second Amendment rights are largely respected. Uh, and unfortunately, in those blue states where our right to keep our arms is uh, under continued and renewed assault in wake of the uh, in the in, in light of the Bruin decision. All right, now let's turn our attention to today's armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We'll start there. Uh, you know, we just heard Joe Biden yesterday try to uh, give America a collective guilt trip for not supporting more gun control laws, right, including his uh, desired ban on modern sporting rifles. Meanwhile, you know, a lot of gun owners say, well, what about the existing laws on the books here? Why aren't, why aren't they being fully enforced? And a perfect case in point comes from uh, Chicago, where the man who engaged in a straw purchase, buying a gun for a convicted felon and lying on a federal form by claiming that the purchase was actually intended for him, that gun later used to kill Chicago police officer Ella French, the man who purchased that gun sentenced yesterday to just two and a half years in federal prison. Yeah. Now, you know, the National Shooting Sports Foundation, they've got a program called Don't Lie for the Other Guy. And it's an anti-straw purchase campaign, basically a public awareness campaign, trying to remind potential straw purchasers that, hey, you know what, if you do this and you're caught, you could go to prison for 10 years. Keyword there being could, apparently, because the sentence is actually half the uh, five-year maximum that Jamal Danzi could have received under federal law uh, based on the uh, charges. It was handed down in a four courtroom full of Chicago police officers after Elizabeth French, the mother of Ella French, uh, addressed the court, saying that she had last spoken with her daughter right before she started the shift in which she lost her life. They talked about going on vacation. Elizabeth uh, French uh, talked uh, about telling her daughter to be careful and safe, said that uh, she loved her, and that was the last time she spoke to her. She said, I'm forever grateful that I got the chance to say something. Uh, U.S. District Judge Robert Gentleman said that um, even though many in the room 
were angry about these sentence. He said the sentence had to be just. He said, I feel the grief and I feel the anger that I witnessed in this proceeding today. But anger and grief basically lead to vengeance. And he said that uh, he had no evidence that Danzy knew where the gun that he had illegally purchased uh, was actually headed. Which shouldn't be a factor, all things considered, right? I mean, if we're strictly enforcing gun laws, then it really shouldn't matter that uh, Mr. Danzy didn't know that the gun that he was purchased would be uh, used in the commission of a crime. He knew he was purchasing a firearm for somebody who was not eligible to own one because of a felony conviction. Now, Danzy did apologize. He said, I take full responsibility for what I've done. This should never have happened. And he said, my family knows me as a hardworking individual who never gives up. I have a good heart, and I don't mean harm to anyone. Danzy had never been in trouble with the law before this, he said. Um, and the judge took all of that into consideration and said, all right, based on the totality of these circumstances here, two and a half years. Federal prosecutors afterwards, um, not happy about it. Assistant U.S. Attorney Prashant Kaluri actually wrote before sentencing that the violent criminals in the city are growing increasingly dismissive of the law and the consequences of their actions. At this moment in this city, it's critically important that sentences for straw purchasing offenses reflect that these are serious offenses that cannot be tolerated. They uh, submitted more than 80 pages of letters from current and former Chicago police officers and Department Brass uh, asking the judge to impose a stiff sentence for Danzy, reflecting both on the death of Ella French, uh, as well as the life-altering injuries suffered by her partner, Officer Carlos Yanez, who's no longer on the force. Uh, other letters submitted by Chicago Police Department Executive uh, Director Tina Scahill, Chief of Patrol Brian McDermott, handful of district commanders, uh, again, all talking about the need for a, uh, a tough sentence here and a sentence that uh, was rejected by a federal judge. So, yeah, don't lie for the other guy. But if you do lie for the other guy, you might still get a break in federal court, even if your actions led to the death of someone else. Uh, all right. Today's armed citizen story. St. Louis, Missouri, where a uh, burglary ended up with one of the would-be burglars shot and killed in self-defense. And now the woman who helped organize the burglary has been charged with his death. Happened uh, just after 420. Uh, over the weekend uh, on Riverview Drive in St. Louis. When officers uh, got to the scene, they found a man identified as Cottrell McCurry suffering from uh, multiple gunshots. He was unconscious at that point and not breathing. He was taken to a local hospital uh, where he was pronounced dead. Police initially took a 37-year-old into custody for the shooting, but after talking with the man, it was uh, determined that the shooter, uh, the, the man was acting in self-defense uh, in his home. Uh, he was released on Wednesday, according to the police, citing the lack of evidence as a self-defense claim was made, uh, as well as the Castle Doctrine. Uh, instead, after the uh, homeowner was released, or at least the resident of the home was released, police arrested 31-year-old Tierra Gines, as an accomplice in the attempted burglary. According to a probable cause statement, Gines was at the home with the 37-year-old when she texted McCurry and informed him that there were guns in cash at the residence and then basically told him, come here and rob the place. Yeah. As a result, police have now charged Gines with second-degree murder as well as first-degree burglary. The uh, homeowner, again, who was 
basically set up to be robbed, but was able to protect himself, not facing any charges. Finally today, our good deed of the day, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, a uh, good Samaritan in California who happened across a uh, horrific uh, accident and uh, was really the only one to respond. Uh, this uh, good Samaritan helping a, uh, a California Highway Patrol officer who had been injured in a uh, multi-vehicle crash on the I-10 freeway in, I believe, uh, West Covina. Uh, this was a Tuesday afternoon around 2 o'clock in the afternoon. An officer was working a traffic stop when the accident happened, and uh, it was bad. Uh, Shiraz Dayel saw it, the accident unfold right in front of the uh, hotel uh, where he works. He says... Um, he tried to immediately run over to help, but was thwarted by the fact that there was a 10-foot wall and fence. So he's trying to climb up the fence. He can't get over. That's when he says another good Samaritan showed up. Other guy tells Dayal to jump on his shoulders to get over the fence. Dial said, I told him, no, I can't. So then he kind of put his hands together, boosted the uh, a man over the fence. When Dayal got there, the officer was still unconscious. So uh, Dayal grabbed the injured officer's radio. And just started reporting southbound on the 10 freeway officer involved in an accident. Someone hit him. Officer needs help. Made a made a officer down. Officer down. I, outstanding. Uh, Shiraz Dayal uh, said after a few minutes, the officer woke up. He was out, you know, when he got there on the scene. Dayal said he told me his badge number and his name. He was asking if he could call his wife. Guy had a smartwatch on, so they were actually able to do that. And he was able to call his wife there at the scene. Dayal said the conversation was very brief. Just said, I'm okay. I'm alert now. He said, but it was a major car accident. Uh, after Dayal's call for help, Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, California Highway Patrol, uh, arrived to uh, help the injured officer, taken to a hospital in Pomona with moderate injuries. Another individual uh, in that multi-car accident who was uh, uh, listed as stable at last report, also taken to a hospital. Uh, two other individuals in two other vehicles had uh, minor injuries. But Shiraz Dayal, who again, he was at work. He, he apparently owns the uh, Days Inn there in West Covina, and he's there on the job, sees what's happening out the window, runs over, again, has to find someone to help him climb this 10-foot uh, tall fence to get there. This happened on a busy freeway. It happened on the I-10. And yet, Shiraz Dayal says he was the first one there. He said no one stopped. He said even out of the three cars involved in the accident, no one got out of their vehicle. He said, that's ridiculous to me. Well, it, it's, it's sad to say. Um, but thankfully, again, Shiraz Dayal was in the right place at the right time. And willing and able to do the right thing to help out uh, someone in need. And for that, we give him our thanks and uh, hope that he has a uh, very safe holiday season it is not called on to be a first responder at uh, any point in the near future now that is going to do it for this edition of bearing arms cam and company i want to thank you for being a part of the program as always we'll be back on monday with another uh, show for you but don't forget you can check out bearingarms.com the website every day between now and then we are constantly updating it with all of the information you need to know about your right to keep bare arms, the uh, threats to your right, as well as the success stories in defending 
your Second Amendment freedoms. You'll find it all again at BarionArms.com. If you like what you see, I'd also encourage you to become a VIP member or perhaps even a VIP gold member, which will give you access to all kinds of cool stuff throughout the Town Hall Media family of websites. Just go to BarionArms.com slash subscribe. You can get more information there. If you'd want to sign up, you can use the promo code GUNRIGHTS and get a significant savings on your VIP membership. We're going to give you, again, exclusive content, stories, analysis you won't find anywhere else because your support does matter and it does make a difference. So thank you again. We'll talk to you soon. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.